1: This
0: episode is sponsored by FX's Fleischman is in Trouble, starring Jesse Eisenberg, Claire Danes, Lizzie Kaplan, and Adam Brody. This drama tells the story of recently divorced Toby Fleischman, who dives into the world of app-based dating with the kind of success he never had in his youth. Then, his ex-wife disappears, leaving him with their two children and no hint of her return. FX's Fleischman is in Trouble, streaming November 17th, only on Hulu. Okay, ready? But you know and it's about a time And you get yourself in <laughs> I wanna know Something Jesus i think about everyone need I'll hold in there, Things really now i have you Seen you wanting you Hey it's a ratio, Okay, though. It's a ratio, Okay, though.
1: That might be the best question I've ever been asked. <laughs> You're serving 2,500 people a day. You're not going to please everybody. Barbecue was always just a battle that you just would never win.
0: <laughs> You'd always hear that, hey, cook man, cook man. Come here and it was some old it was a it was a precious precious lady from houston texas that was just sitting there telling me like this is not how we cook like what is this like and you're just sitting there like explaining the story and you're like you know what tell me about you and your style of cooking and that's where i started learning a whole lot more. and it really aided me in, in actually doing the job that i was set there for like i said a lot of the reason why i am is because of the women in my family and the women around me and that's how I've kind of been able to develop this philosophy of who I am as a cook. You know, it's just listening and understanding and hearing these stories, you know, because there's always there's there's, there's more than one way to skin the rabbit, right? So let's figure out the the, the the coolest way, the easiest way and in and, and a way that people will all enjoy. And granted, you're not going to win everybody. You know, took like a good, good, good little while to learn. And you're not going to please everybody.
1: Chef Jerome Grant was the executive chef behind Sweet Home Cafe, the cafe or cafeteria at the heart of the National Museum of African American History and Culture in Washington, D.C. And if you took a trip to that amazing museum, you know how powerful and emotional the museum itself was. And then when you got to the cafe, you encountered four Interesting and distinct flavors, different regions, different cuisines of African-American culture, which blew me away. It was not just some stayed place where you go and rest in between seeing stuff. No, this was a vibrant, important part of the museum showcasing African-American cuisine in this amazing and beautiful way. And Chef Jerome Grant was a key part of the team that planned that Sweet Home Cafe and then ran it for several years. He's moved on now to a restaurant in D.C. called Jackie. He is a James Beard five-star or three-star chef uh, who's been all around the world, trained, amazing uh, knowledge of African-American cuisine, so I was definitely dying to talk to him about what they did at the museum and about African American cuisine in general, which is not just soul food. There's so much more to it. And he breaks that down in this awesome conversation about black food. Let's get into it. It's Chef Jerome Grant on Tour A Show. And I went to, uh, the first time I went to the National Museum of African American History and Culture, you know, it's emotional, you're blown away, you know, the the culture, the history, the things you're learning. And then you get to your part, the Sweet Home Cafe, and it was like so beautiful and mind-blowing. And so many museums have a, a cafe or cafeteria that's like an afterthought. It's just a rest space. But this was like a con- a complete continuation of the education process of the celebration of African American culture, you know. And, and it was so well thought out, and it was, it, you know, it it really educated me, and I'm sure a lot of other people into like, you know, well, it, you know, it, we're not just soul food. There are, uh, you know, you had it broken down in like four different regions and kinds of African-American cuisine, which was like, wow, like I never realized that's the way it was. So I was so impressed. That's the, you know, I wanted to have you on to talk about that. Just talk me through how you conceived of that and and what these four major groupings of African-American cuisine are. Because most of us, like I said, just think of soul food and don't realize, you know, these four major groups.
0: Well, first and foremost, it wasn't just me; it was it was us, my place. It was our place. Um, you know, I came onto the project about two and a half years prior to it opening, um, and Dr. Jessica Harris really created the imprint of what we were going to be. Um, she was the how can I say? She was the architect of that cafe. She helped set the guidelines and help us understand additional stories. Because just like, you know, you were saying, a lot of folks just look at Black food as soul food, but there's so many more gamuts that went into it. We come from so many different subcultures that we've made this huge genre of food and honestly just help curate and navigate what American food is. Um, you know, if you look at the entry point and, and, and when during the transatlantic slave trade, when, when folks were brought in, you know, there they, they they were West Africans who were were brought in first they they came into that entry point of what we called the creole coast so what we did was we looked at these regions and identified these regions through the migration of of, of folks you know looking at that creole coast as the entry um looking for the newer beginnings uh going up north you know and then after you know slavery was abolished moving out to the west um, for the expansion so we we always followed you know the migration of people you know, as people as a whole, you know, when they got here, they were stripped of so much, but what they always had was, you know, their flag, their food, um, their, their style of cooking, um, certain ingredients they, 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 they brought over, you know, as they were taken and then they resupplemented them with what ingredients they were able to find here. (laughs) You know, uh, you know, as well as I know, black folks are going to make things happen no matter what. I mean, there's, 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 there's no way around it. And food's always going to be great. Um, that food was our flag, you know, that, that, that food is everything of who our, what our heritage was, who our families were, where we came from. You know, that, that, that's one thing that we always had, you know, it wasn't nothing that was written down. It was nothing that was that was given. Well, it was something that was learned.
1: Let's go through the four regions that you identify. I think, cause you have the, you have the agricultural South, the Creole Coast, the North States and the Western range. I think the agricultural South is what most of us think of when we think of the the roots of African-American cuisine.
0: Exactly. You know, it's your, your Southern inspired foods, you know, the the foods that were cooked by the Mamies and, 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 and those things that people kind of just automatically assume what black food is. It's just, you know, mac and cheese and fried chicken, collard greens, you know, it's so much more than that. Um, you, you look at, you know, slave trade times, um, Black cooks, black chefs, black pastry chefs, they were sold for a lot more because they had this this talent. A lot of uh, slave owners would actually send these black chefs over to Europe to be trained. You know, they were like personal valets. So this was something that was highly, highly favored at that time. And, you know, black men were, were at the forefront of it. The greatest thing about that is black men were given these... These lessons, these teachings, from the women that sustain this culture, that sustain these families—you know what I mean. So, if it wasn't for you know black women still pushing on, you know the, the things that we have and it's showing us how to cook and to prepare and to to to, to really be in this hospitality or, or whatever you want to call it, like that's where it all came from. You know, I, I look at you know why I cook; it's because of the women in my life um they're the ones that instilled this in me from my mother to my Jamaican grandmother you know she showed me how to cook oxtails she showed me how to pick gunga beans you know my, my mother who's filipino showed me how to cook classical or classical filipino dishes that's why i got in food because of these women that you know sustained me and that's how all that kind of just trickled down to it i mean you look at you know the the, the mamies and stuff like that these were black women that were cooking this food for these folks but then would go back home they have to cook for their own family. So they sustained more than just their own personal family, but the folks that they had to work for and they had to slave for, you know? And, so, you know, people just identify that.
1: Yeah. So 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 that agricultural South, so you're talking about fr- fried chicken, mac and cheese, right? Black-eyed peas, right? Like what, what else, what else characterizes that region? What flavors characterize that
0: region? You have things like Hoppin' John out there. Um, you know, we'd always have some kind of coleslaw, potato salad, just a lot of those 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 sentimental things that you've always seen in the South. You know, various types of pies. Um, that 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 real southern style food. That's what we focused on there.
1: Well, just as a side note, what advice do you have for folks who say, "Chef, how can I make my fried chicken better?" Um, man. Well, we all do it differently. Um, one, one way that somebody
0: was taught was different from the other person's. I've I've, held, I've, he- I've heard 50 million ways of, of cooking fried chicken and i have been yelled at about how to probably cook uh, fried chicken 50 million ways also. Um, I always resort back to the way that my father taught me. Um, the reason why my father, my stepfather, who raised me, old school Southern man from Hampton, Virginia, still keeps brown paper bags under the sink. You know? Got to start off and having a good shake. Create the shake: paprika, garlic, pep- uh, garlic, um, sheesh, onion powder, salt—all those things in there. Shake it up, get it ready. And then it's about the fact of how you either a brine your chicken or how fresh your chicken is. Um, we were a little fancy, so we brined our chicken. Um, but for him, it was like a little bit of salt, a little bit of water. Let it sit for a day. Let it dry out. Go straight to the flour and straight to the fryer. Um, and then the additional key for me was. Fry it a little bit slower at 325 degrees or so. So you get that nice crisp on it. But the additional part is what you're frying it in. You know, peanut oil, peanut oil with some other fats, like pork fat and stuff like that in there. I mean, you know, you're building those flavors in there. Building that fry oil, you know, helps the additional seasoning. You know, you're, you're, you're infusing a lot more flavor into that chicken and as well as into that crust. And then just slow, nice and crispy. Um, finish it all the way in there, and then it's just it's, it's just super tasty.
1: So that, that oil, though, that's not something that I had thought about. So, okay, that's an important thing. You also reminded me, yeah, in talking about the paprika and all this sort of stuff, uh, like, one of the things that we talk about our food is we season our food more than white people do. And uh, as a chef, do you find that to generally be true? And is that accurately... Understood as a holdover from or or, or a, a tradition from slavery when we got, you know, the worst part of the pig and we needed to do something extra to make it flavorful.
0: I think that's just who we are. I mean, when we cook food, you know, like. You come from lands that had spices, that had all these amazing things like, you know, you you, you look at Africa as a continent, you had things like bene
1: seeds, you had all these hard spices. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Spices, like all spices, like we come from these areas, we use them in our food Um, and not even just our food, but also like medicinally, you know, so all those flavors and all those smells have always been in there for us. So the way that I look at it is that's something that we've always had. I mean, hell, you know, a bunch of white dudes travel the world, quote unquote, looking for spices. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, right, it's, they were definitely out there looking for the flavor, man, and we we had those things. That's something that 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 always have
1: Influencer. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days. There is a woman who went the distance, who broke ground as the first true influencer by living a remarkable life. Her name Elizabeth Taylor. I'm Katy Perry. This is the story of the original influencer. This is Elizabeth the First. Elizabeth the First, the
0: podcast, wherever you listen. Make It Plain covers politics and social justice. From organizers to legislators, it's the
1: conversation you need to get woke So so if the agricultural South is that what Tennessee, South Carolina, Alabama, Mississippi, right like the, the the northern part of Florida, Georgia, like right? So then the Creole Coast is what like New Orleans, lower Mississippi, Orleans, like, yep. into Texas. So that's yep. what that, that's what you mean with the Creole Coast. Yes. So, how is their food different?
0: Their food was a little bit different as far as the, the the ingredients that you've seen used into it. You know, there was a lot more seafood in that area, so you'll see those things like the the, the gumbo. Um, you'll 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 see things like uh, you know different styles of catfish, and and then you know other additional things like duck. You know, a lot of people didn't understand that you know duck was a fowl it was it was in the water it was something that you know folks hunted um you know west africans uh generally the west africans that were brought up they were you know fishermen by trade like they were great at that so they used those waters down there and then and, and came back with with great with a great uh product to cook with Fortunately, Fortunately, not for themselves but you know they were mm, able to get that
1: i think gumbo is perhaps good gumbo is perhaps my favorite dish of all In in African-American cuisine, there is something magical about like a hearty, ricey, multiple meats and some seafood and some seasoning. It's just, it, it can blow your mind if it's done right. It's
0: just the flavor, the way that it's built, the love that goes into it. I mean, you see somebody stirring that root just to get it started. You know what I mean? Like all of a sudden that flour and butter turns into a whole nother smell, a whole nother smell. You know it's getting a little bit more nuttier in texture. Like it's just it's it's just amazing. You just start building it from there with all the additions. Then all of a sudden, you know, you throw some of that ochre in there and it just ties it all together, right? Um yeah, good damn good gumbo's like, you know, it's it's super serious. And and a lot of folks take gumbo seriously, man. Um and especially down down in that area. Yeah. I mean don't, don't, make a terrible one. I'll tell you that. Um, <laughs> but you know, there, there, there's some folks, you know, a little sassafras in there or gumbo filet. Um, it depends on what side that you're on. Um, I'm more of a gumbo filet. I like that additional earthiness, um, in, into my gumbos. Um, and it's always a combination. Like I never do like a chicken gumbo, you know, it's always a combination of, you know, uh, some kind of poultry sausage and then seafood. Like I gotta have, you know what I mean? Like right. I gotta have that super meaty, but uh, but you know, fishy type of flavor to it. Um Is- it just helps, you know, really create something
1: that's magical. Is there a seasoning difference when you move from the agricultural south to the Creole coast? Because they're they're bumping up against each other. There's definitely some movement in terms of who. Was coming from, you know, some people were coming from both places, or move from one to the other, right? Like when you when you move like up north or out west, those are more radical moves for a family. But to move right. within that southern region was more common. Um, so, are there is there distinct differences?
0: I wouldn't say distinct differences. It was mostly what was like more readily available, right? You you'll see a lot more different styles of peppers grown in that Creole coast, you know, different methods of drying them and utilizing them versus you go up to the South, you know, it was like just a staple, like just basic, you know, jalapenos and bell peppers and stuff like that. Those seem to kind of grow differently up there. Um, but, I, you know, I, I feel all in all, you know, with the travel, a lot of the additional things traveled with folks also, um, but it just differed in what was readily available. Um, you know, we could always have the conversation about, all right, so who's sweet tea better? Who sweet tea is better, you know, northern-style sweet tea or southern-style sweet tea? Well, those are two whole different things because some folks had the luxury of having things like maple syrup and honey more up north versus in, you did down south where it was just sugar, sugar cane,
1: right? So, yeah, when the Great Migration is happening, a lot of folks moved to Chicago, a lot of folks moved to Harlem, Philadelphia, D.C., when you're talking about the northern states, right? That's what you're talking about. Detroit, Chicago, Harlem, yes. Brooklyn, DC, Philadelphia, right? So what characterizes right. the 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 African American cuisine of the folks who were up there? Oh man, I'll probably get in trouble for this. Um Why? It, it seems like
0: you know, a lot of folks they mm-hmm. moved. well, it's not that? Well, you had a lot of southern folks that that moved up there and they brought their southern flavors. I mean, yeah. um, you know, you could talk about the women that were in the streets of Harlem, you know, selling whole roasted sweet potatoes and 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 the and the men, you know, being able to buy them and just have that touch of, you know, quote unquote what their home was, you know, and like a nice nice al southern sweet potato on the streets of Harlem. Um, but also again, it's just the additional ingredients that were available, they just adapted their cuisine to it. Um, you know, there wasn't tons of catfish up north, right? So they opted for a different type of fish, whether it was river trout or, or walleye or whichever. Um, It was just, you know, that type of change. But then also what their livings were like, you know, you see a lot of like one pot dishes that was in that station that we had, um, like our oxtail. Um, you've seen, you know, a good amount of Caribbean folks migrate up north. Even, even now you've seen a lot of, you know, African folks, like Ghanaian folks that moved up north. And we did this one pot oxtail dish. Well, you know, it, it pays homage to me. Uh, in that retrospect, that you know, when we moved up there, they put us in these tenements that had these ovens and these stoves that didn't work too well, right? So almost the only way to make a decent meal. And I, I grew up with a uh, Jamaican grandmother who, who probably to this day, well, she doesn't have that pot no more. I actually stole the pot, but as I grew up, always had this cast iron pot on the back stove, right? It was the one that she cooked everything in it. Whatever she put in it, it tasted so great because that pot was well seasoned. It was well used, but that's why I just, you know, that's why I was assumed it was just at that, that pot. Well, that pot was also the most ingenuitive thing that she could cook something perfectly in it because it held the heat. You know, we didn't have a really nice oven or a really nice stove. She was able to create, you know, magic with this pot. And it it was one of those types of things. You you look up north, you see a lot of those one pot dishes because, you know, we were in these tenements that, you know, it was one bedroom apartment with four people in there and, you know, crappy, uh happy service wear.
1: Mm-hmm. so what you will so what are some of the foods like when i think about the south i'm like i'm thinking about fried chicken and mac and cheese when i'm thinking about the creole coast i'm thinking about gumbo and jambalaya um i i'm from the north you know i grew up in boston my father's from uh harlem and brooklyn and yet i'm still not sure like what characterizes uh, you know what are the core dishes of of our African American cuisine?
0: You know, there there was always it was never a thing of like core dishes, right? But there was always the things that Black folk were as well as what Black folks were doing in the food industry. You know, we paid <laughs> homage to a, to a man named Thomas Downing, who was one of the best oystermen in New York. You know, um, I mean, hell, when the guy died, the whole city of commerce shut down. And that was like in the 1800s for, for this man. You know, he, would, he was literally sending oysters overseas to the Queen. You know, pickled oysters. People would show up to his tavern. To uh, you know, white folks would show up to his tavern to have his oysters, but he was also showcasing black talent that entertained these white folks. So we were at the forefront of some things that people didn't understand. You know, so we we would have dishes like that. We we'd have the, the 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 cod cakes or the salmon cakes. Um, a, a lot of those things that we've seen in that food and of that region that 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 was there, you know, those types of fishes that were there, and how we utilize those things.
1: Um, and then we have the Western Range, right? So part of the Great Migration, we went to California, uh, some to the Midwest, right? Obviously St. Louis and places like that. But I think you're really talking about us in California and on the West well, Coast, right?
0: California, kind of. Moving, keep in mind that a lot of a lot of black folks. We went out. We became chuck wagon workers. You know, we were cooking for the, the cowboys. You know, the black cowboys were were were, were out there. Um, so we were actually, you know, the ones that were taking all these wild leftovers and, and, and making things up. Um, essentially, you know, cooks were given everything from livers to hearts and all sorts of of of, of wild innards. Made the stew out of it, cook down, and serve it. Super tasty. It was super hearty, and you know, it was one of those types of things that it, it, it sustained those folks that were working on the railroads. It sustained those cowboys that were out on the plains. Um, and then, you know, as you kind of went more to the west, it, it, it changed a little bit more because there were additional flavors out there. Um, also, you have to kind of look at the the commingling of people. You know, there was there's Native Americans out there. There was Lat- Latinos out there. So all these types of flavors that were introduced was really driven by, you know, this, this by black folks, as well as the, the, the additional uh, folks that were out there and created like this really awesome food.
1: Well, so what are the, what are the, some of the core? What does eating healthy mean to you?
0: From Tinderfoot TV, Campside Media, and iHeart Podcasts, Radical is available now. Listen to the new podcast Radical for free on the iHeart Radio app or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Dishes that characterize that West. So uh, there was always you. some kind of uh, you did like a, there was always some kind
0: of like pit style barbecue. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, being with that whole whole area, like barbecue was really big, and you know, black folks were the you know at the forefront of cooking over open fire. Um, and 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 utilizing those really off cuts of meat to to slow roast and low and slow and, and get those things together. Um, at the same time, you, you've seen different types of fish. You know, we were taking things like the trout out the river and, and cooking those things, um, as well as you know starting to utilize things like the corn and the bean and the squash that we you know started to learn from the Native Americans on how to grow that stuff, as well as how the Native Americans you know showed showed everybody else too. So with with that, you know, and sorry, but with the same with the same token, a lot of those um, items, you know, were in what similarity that 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 you know black folks had coming over.
1: barbecue is such a really special thing for us. and like everybody has in their family that that uncle or that dad or whoever it is who's like, you know, get away from the grill. You know, I got the grill. You know, I'm I'm gonna handle this. This is my thing, and he's you know <laughs> taking care of. Shows the, up with his own grill, right, right, right. His own apron, right. <laughs> his own tongs, and yeah. you know, own grill on apron. He's very proud. You know, he's very proud. I'm a, I'm gonna run this grill all day long, and this woman, I'm gonna crush this. Um, um Talk to me. You know, I had I actually had Jamie Harrison, who was running for uh Senate in South Carolina and we t- and we had an epic conversation about two kinds of barbecue that came out of South Carolina that sort of like shapes you know the, so he is he, he believes this history of barbecue but he's like you know the and i can't remember the different the difference, but there's like this core base ingredient that like makes the difference between one side of South Carolina and the other and i wonder if you can just talk a little bit about some of your preferences around barbecue because there's ways of doing it there's ways that some people are like that's the right way that's the wrong way whatever and so what do you what do you think about how to do it the right way
0: so me personally and I want to clarify that me personally yeah, yeah. I'm a, I enjoy smoking items um, you know I, I enjoy smoking brisket um, top round ribs. You know, I'm more into creating an amazing rub, rubbing it down, and, and smoking it low and slow, you know, four to five hours. And then on the side, I enjoy making the different types of sauces. You know, I'm a, I am like that main meat and then just the various types of sauces to accompany it. But, you know, it's all about, you know, getting that nice cut of meat and just putting love into it and just just cooking it low and slow. Maybe it's like my getaway, you know, when we do it at my house, it's like, all right, Cool. I'll be outside for the next four to six hours. <laughs> Got my drinks with me in my lawn chair, you know, I like, like this whole hog roasting and just kind of just sitting
1: there and watching it. You know, that's just more my speed. There's a real science to where you place the coals uh, in relation to the meat so that certain parts are getting direct heat and certain parts are getting a little more indirect heat, right? One of the main keys is how to build a fire. You know, a lot of people don't understand, like it starts off there. It's not like
0: you just go out there, throw some charcoal, spark this thing up and throw your meat on it and walk away. Oh, no, no, no. You have to get this this fire going, understand how you can control that heat and keep it at that good 200 to 250, you know, depending on what you're cooking and then how you place that meat on there, just like you say. Because essentially what you want to do is you want to almost create this, like. for me, it's like creating this vacuum. A little bit of fat drips here, that burns on whatever coals that I have going. It's about how you build those things. You know, doing you know uh, a, a whole pig or something like that. There's certain cuts of meat that you can't have too much heat uh, fire on. You know, you won't put too much fire on the hams or on the butt. I mean, because you want that slower. A little bit less fire on you know the rib portion and stuff like that. So it's just you have to kind of learn how to build those fires. That's extremely key, and then just have the patience. Um, patience is a, is, a, is a serious thing, um, to go through the motions, to sit the base this thing, to nap it, to check, um, like, you know, it, it's, it's a very melodic thing. And that's why you don't have a ton of pit masters. You mean know? like, it's a serious, it's a serious thing. Like I'd never show up to a, to a, to a, to a barbecue contest or Rodney Scott or anything like that. I mean, uh, I, I, I know when to tuck my tail and walk away, but you know, I enjoy it. And I, and I know how to how to make a, a hell of a barbecue, um, but you know there there's some, there's some there's some legends out there that you know it's a whole nother thing. It's just not going through the motions like like they feel in their bones.
1: you know I've watched a little of of, of Rodney Scott do his thing, and um, the man is clearly a genius, and it seemed that he was super fixated on basically creating a circle of heat underneath the whole hog. So the coals, the main heat is coming in a circle outside. So the scent, like you talk about, like not don't overheat the butt, right. And let the juices drip down and create its own sort of, but if you have a circle of hot coals and the inside is then sort of smoking from the, that's the, is is that sort of the idea? Yeah.
0: You're just trying to create, like almost like this vacuum of just smoke and flavor that just keeps on um, going back into the meat. You know, it's just, it's like that, that, that perfect smoke vacuum. Uh, you know, like in our restaurant now, we use um, coconut coals. So it's like a coconut and we use like a Japanese style yakitori grill. Um, it doesn't give off too much smoke, but a lot of the additional flavor that comes from the meat that we cook on it is the fat that drips on that coal and infuses that, that, that piece of meat that is cooking. So it's, you know, creating those things and and, and enduring it for the long process to really intensify that flavor and keep on
1: feeding it flavor. Are there things that you wanted to do in terms of the Sweet Home Cafe that you're like, we can't do that because somebody said we're not doing that or because there wasn't the resources to do that? Like, did it, was it a perfect conception for you or was it like, this is the best that we can do with what we have?
0: I think it was one of those things that, for us, um, when we walked into it, um, like we knew it was going to be an amazing place. Yeah. But it was fifty times amazing. Um, You know, we knew that we were going to get thousands of people in there. No, it was tens of thousands of people that showed up. And the most important thing for us was we needed to continue to create that same that same first day for everybody that came in there. So we didn't do too many changes, especially in the first two years. I mean. Hell, it was almost, you know, you had to know somebody to know somebody to get tickets to get in there.
1: Right, true.
0: But one of the greatest things that we did was we started introducing additional programs where we started bringing in additional chefs. You know, Women's History Month would come in, we'd bring in all female black chefs to cook. Um, Black History Month, we'd feature foods from black culinary legends. Um, And then as well as have guest chefs on the weekends and then to come in and do uh, stations and stuff like that. So, You know, one of the main keys and one of the things that, you know, I really enjoyed about it was that we were able to continue to promote our folks and our folks in this food business and give them this stage to do it. Um, Because, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, I always go back to it like this. That cafe was never, that restaurant was never me. It was us, it was ours. Um, And it was a home for us to tell our story the way that we want to tell it. And um, I was lucky enough to have a team of, over 80 people that wanted to do it day in and day out, man. And that knew that their job was a lot more purposeful than, you know, selling hamburgers and stuff like that was, it was showcasing who we are and what we fought for for so long.
1: You had a team of 80. It was a little bit more
0: probably 80 to a hundred people. I mean, it was a, it's a massive, massive place and the the volume that we were putting out. It was just crazy. I mean, we were doing anywhere between 1500 to 2,500 people a day.
1: And what, I mean, Having been in many restaurants and run many restaurants, what were some of the particular challenges of not just 2,500 covers a day, but we're doing four fairly distinct flavors or, or styles of food? You know, like if you do a menu, you're probably, it's all probably going to, you know, have a harmony, right? Like th- this is my vision of, food and you know but that place it was like here's four different menus that we're providing so you know were there different like teams working on different ones the way you had to source the food is different like what were some of the challenges because you're doing four entirely different things
0: well i mean some of the challenges well luckily enough for me um i was at another museum prior to so i was at the american indian museum prior to where it was the same salad set um, you know, we, 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 we uh, represented, uh, regions of America, um, again, five different menus, um, same style setup in the kitchen. Um, for us, it was just the, the challenging part was taking a lot of these things that were done in small batches and recreating it for the masses and not losing any authenticity in between, but also at the same time, making sure that the folks that came in, it didn't miss a beat with them. Right. We could talk about mac and cheese all day and how you do mac and cheese, how I do mac and cheese, but we need to find that, that fine line of how we can produce it for the masses, but also not lose any authenticity to it. And that's where the challenge was. Um, but again, amazing staff, amazing people that helped build that place, and we were able to get through it. Um, it didn't happen the first day. It sure as hell didn't happen the first month. Um, I think we all rolled with punches, and we we took every criticism that, that, that came our way and listened. Um, at the same time, we, 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 harped on, you know, really just showcasing who we are through food and making it an edible exhibit.
1: I think you guys did an extraordinary job. I'm curious, though, what were some of the more consistent critiques that you heard from your, because I know you had a very particular audience. You know, it was definitely a lot of older black folks were so thrilled to be in the museum and thrilled that it existed i'm sure they got to the cafe and they were like we love that this is this but your mac and cheese ain't blah, 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 or, or whatever grandma's particular you know because people get there, you know the the old aunties and whatever they you know they like oh you know you got to do it this way or you're not doing it so what were what were some of the more consistent critiques that you that you had to wrestle with
0: Let's see. <laughs> Where do I start? Right. No, um. I'm trying to keep it straight. So uh so what do you mean ain't you no know, ham hocks in these greens? You know, I come from a family that enjoys pork. Um, you know, wait a minute, these these vegetarian greens? You know, it, it was those types of things on how to properly cook greens for the masses and make sure that we're able to serve everybody. You know, we didn't have we went through the process of doing it with pork, which was always just traditional for us. Um, then we went over to smoked turkey. Then it was like, all right, how can we make an amazing vegetarian one? But we we, we took a lot of the, the input that our folks were giving us. Um, hell, fried chicken, man. Um, you know, there was, you know, everybody has 50 million different types of recipes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, our, our goal was we had this base recipe that was good. Um, but let's listen. Let's understand, you know figure out everything from like the buttermilk brine down to the additional herbs that went into it um, and then you know make sure that we create our our own that that really touches everybody that everybody can identify with um, sheesh i mean barbecue was always just a battle that she just would never win um, <laughs> but you know the the blessing for me was that i got to have these conversations with so many people
1: Thanks so much to Chef Grant for a great interview. And thanks to you for listening. And thanks to our super producers, Britt, Marcus Harkis, Noel, Sam Montes, Jason Reynolds, Gerville, Kelly, Michelle, Brenda Cox, Kathy F., Dr. Keena Murphy, Earl Dorsey, Theotokis, and Noma. Toray Show gives you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality. This show could help. You can find me on Twitter at Torre and on Instagram at Torre Show and on Patreon at patreon.com/slash Torre Show and check out my newsletter Black Minds Matter. Go to blackmindsmatter.substack.com. Torre Show is written by me, Torre, and produced by Jackie Garfano. Our editors: Ryan Woodhall. Our photographers: are Chuck Marcus and Shanta Covington and Nick Carp. Our Booker is Claudia Jean, and we're distributed by dcp entertainment and we will be back on wednesday and on friday with more amazing guests because the man can't shut us down